listening to the Central Students Podcast. To learn more about Central Students, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralstanford.net slash students. All right. So uh, for those of you who maybe uh, this is your first time or you haven't been with us in a while, uh, my name is Mike. I'm the student pastor here, and we are starting a new series uh, through the book of Hebrews. Uh, so if you have never read the book of Hebrews, I think it's, there's, it's important for us to understand a few things, right? Uh, so the book of Hebrews, uh, one, we don't... Uh, 100% know who the author of the book of Hebrews is, right? There's a lot of different theories. Some people think it was Paul. Some people think it was Barnabas. Some people think it was Apollos. Uh, we're not really sure, but what we do know is that it is rooted in the teachings of the apostles based off a handful of things that, that, that the author says, and we do know a lot about who he is writing to, okay? So one thing that we know about who he's writing to is we know that he's writing to a group of Christians. Uh, most likely, he's writing to a group of Jewish Christians. Christians, or at least Christians who have a thorough understanding of the Old Testament, which is why we're led to believe that they are Jewish Christians. And what they're going through is that they're experiencing a lot of persecution, which is not uncommon uh, for Christians in this time in history. And while they're experiencing this persecution, there's a great temptation for them to leave the faith. Right? There's a great temptation for them to walk away from Christ, to walk away from uh, their confession of who Jesus is, and to just, you know what, just go along with the flow. There's a great temptation for them to do this. So the author is pleading with them and writing to them and helping them understand that that is not the right choice. Okay, so we are in Hebrews chapter 1. And I will tell you that there's a lot that we could talk about. We could sit here and we could go like into super, super depth. Um, and you know what, that's great, um, but it's kind of difficult for us to do that uh, with just like 35 minutes uh, on, a, on a, you know, Wednesday night or a Tuesday night or whatever. Uh, I will say, those of you who've, gradu- who've just recently graduated, uh, if you join us on CYP, we do cover these in a, l- in a little bit more depth, uh, which is fun. So, but I will say, but one thing I do want us to understand is, so I, uh, the reason I say that is because I don't want you to w- come in here and be like, oh, he's going to tell me everything there is to know about this passage, but I do want you to understand that there are some core truths that the author is trying to get across in this. Does that make sense? So while what I'm going to talk to you about tonight is not everything that I could talk to you about, because we're going to cover really the entire first chapter and part of the second chapter. All right? So don't worry. Like, we're not going to be, like I said, we're not getting into, like, the nuts and bolts of it. But there are some things that I really want us to understand. And I would say if there's one thing that we all desire, especially if you're, if you're a Christian or maybe you're not even a Christian, maybe you're just kind of interested there's one thing that we are all wanting is that we all desire to hear from God. I think that's a fair assessment. I think that it's fair for me to say that everyone in this room desires to be able to hear from God. So we want to hear from God. You know, and I've heard countless Christians, I've heard many of you share with me a deep and genuine desire to hear from God. And I've also spoken with many who have shared with deep sorrow in their hearts how they seemingly can never hear from him. How they desire so badly to hear from God. God, what do you want me to do? God, where do you want me to go? God, God, speak to me. And they're, they're pleading out and they're sorrowful and they're heartbroken because there just seems to be no answer. We see examples in Scripture. And we long for those ex- ex- experiential moments, right? We long for the moments that we see in the Bible, don't we? 
I mean, you, you know, don't, you, don't you wish that God would speak to you out of a burning bush? I mean, we see Moses being spoken to by God out of a burning bush. We see God speak to Samuel three separate times audibly as he was going to lay down to sleep. And he hears Samuel, Samuel, and he gets up and he thinks that it's, uh, he thinks that it's Eli calling him. We see God speak and his voice roaring over the clouds. And we pull out our hair like screaming, God, why don't you speak to me like that? God, why don't you talk to me like that? Like, I know you can. I see it in the Bible. So why don't you talk to me like this? And I'll be honest, like, there's times where I've felt this. It's not bad to desire to want God to speak to you. And before we try to rebuke this way of thinking, we need to understand and first acknowledge that this is frustration that is born out of a correct belief that God is actively speaking. Does that make sense? Because there's this, there's this thing that we deal with as Christians of what we know to be true and what we experience every day. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, I know this to be true. I know that God is the God of peace, but I'm really struggling to experience that peace right now. Does that make sense? And we know God speaks. God is speaking. He is actively speaking to his people, but there's a problem at, at times where we struggle to hear his voice. So there's this, there's this conflict we see it in the Bible. We hear about it from others that we look up to. Yet at the same time, we don't see this in our own lives. And either it causes intense doubt or extreme discouragement. So what I want us to do is I want us to look in Hebrews here. I want us to dive into this. But before I do, I want to talk to you a little bit about something that is one of the knocks that many atheists and agnostics and others will say against Christianity, and it's that most of the, they take the, the three main monotheistic religions in the world, okay? If those of you who know what I mean, what, what are these, the three main monotheistic religions in the world? Christianity, Islam, Judaism, right? These three main religions, and what they say is they all basically teach the same thing. How many of you ever heard this, Right? Okay, so like two of you. I know you've at least heard this, right? They, they all basically teach the same thing. So here's the question, though, right? So let, let's just kind of talk. Let's get some, like, some give and take here, all right? So what are some things that they all have in common that they teach? There's one God, right? All three believe that. One God. What else? Man is sinful. Absolutely. What else? Huh? The afterlife. Yeah, there's an afterlife. Yeah, they all kind of trace their lineage back to Abraham, right? Well, there's, so there's a lot of similarities here. They all have some pretty similar teachings on morality, right? How you should give to the poor. You should tithe. You should, you should pray. You should fast. What else, Brandon? What are you going to say? They all use portions of the Old Testament. They all believe that Moses was a prophet from God. They all believe that Jesus was a, good t- was a, was a teacher from God. But let me explain to you where there is a massive difference. Because all of these things, really, they're, they're very similar. But let me explain something to you. And this is where Christians kind of take the exit off the highway. Is who do they say Jesus is? That is the difference. 
That is the difference. Who do you say Jesus is? Because if, you, if your answer to that question is that Jesus is a great teacher, or even your answer to that question is Jesus is a prophet sent from God, then there's nothing about you and about that answer that is exclusively Christian. Does that make sense? And I'll tell you that the most important answer, the most important answer that you can have is the answer to the question of who is Jesus? And when we're looking in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is going to base his claim, right? Remember, because I told you that he's pleading to them, giving them, talking to them about not leaving the faith. And what he's going to do is he's going to explain who Jesus is as the motivating factor for why they should not walk away from him. Does that make sense? Because I will tell you that your worship of Jesus will never exceed your knowledge of who he is. Does that make sense? We all on the same page? You can only worship God for as much as you know him. So I want you to think about it this way. So let's say that, like, I have this podium, and I have, like, and I have, like, okay, let's say that there's, you know, Jesus is on this, okay? Now, as I add to my knowledge, let's say the podium is my knowledge of who he is. As I add to my knowledge, and not knowledge for knowledge's sake, but knowledge that, that impacts the heart, right, that, that changes you. As you add to this knowledge, what happens is this podium gets higher and higher, and so does Jesus. So if you want to be able to elevate your worship of Jesus, you need to elevate who you understand him to be. And I will tell you something that's very, that you need to understand is that you can never think too high of God. Right? You can never think too high of God. And I would say that the number one issue that most, for, of most Christians in, in the church today is that we don't have a proper understanding of who Jesus is. So I'm going to stop rambling. We're going to get into it. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. The author says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke. And I'm going to stop right there. Because this goes back to what we talked about when I opened, right? We opened with this idea of we desire to hear God speak. And this is pivotal for us to understand that God is not silent. God is not silent. God speaks. God is not far, from, far removed from you. And I know that, you know, we talk about this idea that God is high and set apart from his creation, which he is, but he's also intimately involved in every aspect of your life. There's nothing too small in your life that God does not care about. Psalm 139, 13, for you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. See, there's a view of God that's kind of like this. Like God set the game board up, and he like spins a top, and he just sees what happens. See, when I, was, uh, in, when I was young, I don't know if I was high school, middle school, elementary school, I can't remember. But there was these things, I think they were called like Beyblades is what they were called. Yeah. All right, right? So what you did is you had like this like, this cheap, like this cheapo depot, like, you know, battle ring, and you and your friends, and it looks like a giant zip tie connected to like a top. And you go, and you go, like this, right? And they spin, and they... 100%. Okay, that's usually what anime does. All right, anyway, right, you spin these things, you go, and they battle each other, right? And I think a lot of times that's what we think God is like, that he just spins the top and he sees what happens. But we need to know that that's not how God is. God is not far removed out of his creation. God is intimately involved in every aspect of your life. Proverbs 16, 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And you may be wondering, why is this so important? Like, knowing that God does not leave, see, you, sorry, why is this so important? 
It's important that you understand and you know that God does not leave you to walk through this life on your own. We talk about wanting to hear from God. You need to know that God is not silent with you. Psalm 23, 1 through 4, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm just going to be honest, because perhaps you're here tonight, and you're hurting. Perhaps you're here tonight, and you're confused. You don't understand why God won't speak to you. Perhaps you're, you, you have even thought, you know what, I'm just going to give up on this whole God thing. He doesn't answer me anyway. You see, God is uncaring towards you. And I want you to know that God loves you as his, as he loves you as his child. And he is not running from you. God is not running from you. Job 33, 14, for God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. You see, the greatest struggle is not that we do not have a God who speaks. The problem is that we do not perceive him. Hebrews 1, what does he say? Hebrews 1, what does he say? Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke. God speaks. The question that we have to ask ourselves is not, does God speak? The question we have to ask ourselves is, how does God speak? How does God speak? Because that is vitally important. So we're going to continue on. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. The first way that we see that God speaks is by the prophets. And I want to be very careful here. I want to be very careful because if you're not careful, you may walk away from this with a not necessarily a correct understanding. The author does not say that God spoke to our fathers at many times and in many ways. He says that God spoke to the prophets through the prophets to our fathers. Does that make sense? So let's kind of read that backwards. All right, our fathers heard from the prophets who heard from God at many times and in many ways. Now, this, this, does this mean that God cannot speak? No, God can do whatever he wants. But here's where we get into trouble. When we take the rare instances of the Bible and we expect them to be the everyday instances. You know what I'm trying to say? See, how did God speak to the everyday Israelite? He spoke to the everyday Israelite by setting aside one individual, a prophet, speaking to the prophet, and the prophet spoke to the individual. So for thousands and thousands, if not millions of Israelites, they never had a burning bush experience. Never. And what we do is we see the instance of Moses, and we're like, man, why doesn't God speak like that today? What we do is we take the experience of Moses, and we say, oh, that's how God spoke to everyone. But it's not. That is not how God spoke to everybody. Can he? Absolutely he can. But when we take the scripture, and we take the moments that are rare, and we expect them to be common, then we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. Not to say that God cannot but we have to understand what God typically does. God's typical way of communication was to set aside a prophet, inspire them by the Holy Spirit, and have them go and talk to other people on his behalf. So here's something that you should know. That most people, I said this already, but most people did not have the burning bush experience. God's typical way of communicating was to use a middleman to proclaim his truth. It's kind of what, we, kind of, and what we're going to see throughout the book of Hebrews is this idea of Jesus is the man in the middle. 
Jesus is the man in the middle. Now, you didn't just have a bunch of people saying, hey, God spoke to me, here's what he said. Right? God has specific ways of confirming the message of these prophets and how to determine whether somebody was speaking for God or, or not for God. Now, there's a lot in there, so you didn't just have a bunch of people saying, hey, I speak for God. Okay, So it's important we understand that. Now, you're probably wondering, like, what in the world does this have to do with me? It's a great question. Because God speaks today through what he has already spoken. Does that make sense? Because if you're wondering, how does God, I, I want God to speak to me today. And you're probably like, all right, great, Mike, that sounds wonderful because there's no prophets around today. I can't just go knock on Elijah's house and be like, hey, what does God have to say? God speaks through what he has already spoken. God has revealed himself and he speaks to us today through his word, through the Bible. I've heard it said that if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak aloud, read it out loud. God speaks to us through his word. The Bible is a collection of God's messengers telling you what he has to say. Therefore, as I said a couple weeks ago, our understanding that the Bible is inerrant, it has no error, and it's inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, is pivotal. Because if you remove that, then you no longer have a God who speaks. You no longer have a God who speaks. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active. Every time you pick up your Bible and you read it, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're looking at? 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. From Genesis to Revelation, you are hearing what God has spoken and continues to speak. Now I'm going to get philosophical on you, okay? We're going to take our, our, you know, our, our, our caps and put them on, all right? Think about it. All right, so I'm going to tell you something that you already know, right? God is eternal, right? When I say God is eternal, what does that mean? What was that? He exists outside of time, okay? In, in some simpler terms, that you're right. In some simpler terms, what do we mean? He has no beginning and he has no end, right? God has no beginning and he has no end. There was never a time where God did not exist. And with that, that means that God with God being eternal, that means he's also unchanging. So God has never been lesser than he is today, and he has never been more than he is today. He is consistent. God is eternal. This means he has no end. He has no beginning. Now, this is where we're going to get philosophical. Hang on with me, okay? If God is eternal, then so is what he says. Does that make sense? If God is eternal, then so are his words. See, it's not as if God spoke a long time ago and he's up in heaven saying, look, I already said that. Figure it out. When God speaks once, it is as if he has continued to speak it ever since it came out. Why? Because he is eternal. His words don't grow stale. His words don't expire. Matthew, 7, Matthew 5, 17 through 18, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. See, the problem is we don't believe this to be true. That's the problem. And how do I know this? And even myself, how, how do I know that we don't, we, we don't always believe this to be true? Because we don't cherish it. 
Let me ask you, do you cherish the word of God? And the reason that I can say with confidence, and I don't mean this in a judgmental way, this is something that speaks to me. The reason that I can say this is because we only read it once or twice a week. And I'm being generous. We say, God, speak to me, speak to me, while our Bible collects dust. We don't hunger for God. Psalm 119, 127. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold. Yes, above fine gold. Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. See, when you listen to the writers of the Bible, when you listen to how they spoke about how they cherished God's word, does it not catch you as interesting? They cherished it above everything. It was everything to them. They savored it. They clung to it. They loved it. Why? Because they knew who it came from. See, as long as the Bible is just a collection of books to you, it will never be life-changing. And some of you say, Mike, I've tried to read the Bible, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't hit me like that, man. I, I don't get it. Like, I've tried. It just doesn't, I don't, I don't feel like God's speaking to me through it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, let me present a scenario to you, okay? Imagine you're hungry. And not just hungry like, like some of you might be hungry for Chick-fil-A right now. Not that kind of hungry. I mean, like, you're on the verge of starving to death. You haven't eaten in days. Your body is weak. You can barely stand. You can barely make it through the days. You ache with every passing moment. Then I bring you a buffet line full of food. Imagine whatever the food you want it to look like. I don't care. Right. Just all the most amazing food that you can imagine. And I'm like, hey, this is all yours. And you spring up, right, with much delight and anticipation. You spring up. You're excited. And what you do is you run over to that buffet line and you take one bite and you go back. You take one bite and you go back and lay down. And to your disappointment, you're still hungry. You don't feel any better. You become disenchanted with the idea of food. You think, you know what, maybe food is good for some people. It just doesn't work for me. So what do you do? You try to relieve your hunger by finding different positions to lay down. Maybe you go for a walk. Maybe you think exercise is what I'm going to do. And a few hours later, you go back to that buffet line, and you take another bite. And go back and sit down. And the process repeats. Please hear what I'm about to say. The problem is not that the food is insufficient to meet your needs. The problem is that you're desiring, that, the, that you're desiring for your depraved, broken state to be fixed with a single bite of food. Could it be that your problem is not that the food won't fill you? The problem is, is that you refuse to feast on it. You refuse to feast. Now, can God take one verse and radically change you? Absolutely, he can. But what I'm trying to help you to understand is maybe what you need is not a verse a day on the YouVersion app. Maybe what you need is to get alone with God, sit and read his word and read it and read it and read it. And what I've noticed is if you take a hungry person and you put them at a table full of food, they'll eat until they're full. They'll eat until they're going to pop. Why? Because they're hungry. Are you hungry for the word? Or do you just pretend to be when you're here? 
Are you hungry? Now, some of you are like, you know what? I don't even know how to read the Bible. And here's the thing. If you're hungry, there's others who will help you learn how to read it. I will meet with you. Brandon will meet with you. Any of these volunteers that are in the back, they will meet with you. I'm meeting with one of you tomorrow for lunch. Why? Because I want to show you how to eat. There's no excuses. You have a buffet before you. Don't live on one bite. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So we see that God speaks through the prophets. This next point is not nearly as long, so let not your heart be troubled. <laughs> Some of you are like, well, that was point one. Oh, my goodness. Right? Now, see that he spoke through the prophets. Let's go back to Hebrews 1. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke He has spoken to us by his son. See, while God has spoken through the prophets, this is not the only way that he has spoken. He's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Now here's the question. What is the difference between the son and these other messengers? You know, some of us, when we hear this, you know, we're led to think, you know, okay, we're like, all right, what's the difference? If the prophets said exactly what God wanted them to say, then what is the difference between them speaking and Jesus speaking? And I will say, therein lies your problem. I would like to present something to you. That Jesus is not simply a carrier of a message. That Jesus is the message. Do you understand what I'm saying? That Jesus is not just presenting, he's not just a prophet. He's greater than a prophet. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. See, there's a difference between God sending someone to tell you about himself, and there's a difference between God coming himself and showing you what he looks like. There's a difference. What does it say about Jesus? It says that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The idea of the radiance of the glory of God is to say that Jesus is the display of who God is. Everything about God can be found in Jesus. Colossians 2.9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. See, the idea that, uh, that the author is giving here is like the rays of the sun. It's like the rays of the sun. And I'll tell you, no one in here has ever seen the sun. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? You've never seen the sun. All you have seen is the light that shines from it. And some of you are like, all right, like, now you're just splitting hairs. Right? There's, no difference between, there's no difference between the sun and the light that protrudes from it. And I will say, exactly. Likewise, what does Scripture say? That no one has seen the Father. No one has seen the Father, but... The Son. And what is Jesus? Jesus is the full display of who God is. Justin, just, Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. If you were to take all that God is and put him into a package and, that you could understand, it would be Jesus. And you see, the prophets wrote about who God is, but Jesus shows us who God is. Jesus is a greater revelation than that of the prophets. And the author of Hebrews will go on. He's going to explain how how great 
how Jesus is the greatest messenger. He's the truer and better messenger. And even greater than the angels is what he's going to go on to explain. Now, like I said, like I don't have time to go through all of this, but what he's going to go through and explain is how Jesus is greater than the angels, right? And now to the, to the Jew, like this is a big deal because there was a high level of reverence for angels. You read all throughout scripture, whenever angels showed up, they would always, what, they'd fall down and worship. They highly revered angels. The angel would bring a message and the person would obey. They understood that the angel speaking to them was speaking on behalf of God, and they knew it to be true. And the author of Hebrews is using scripture. He goes back and he uses all these scriptures to show us that Jesus is greater than the angels. And he does a lot to support this point, which we don't have time to fully unpack tonight. But think of the implications. Think of what this means. All right, so Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, therefore, we talk about this all the time. See, therefore, go back and see what it's there for. He's saying, all right, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, right? So basically, when you disobey the angels, you receive, you know, just punishment. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Notice the wording here. He says, therefore, right? He's, the author is using his previous claim to establish another claim. So he is saying, Jesus is greater than the angels, and because of this, we need to pay very close attention to what he is saying. We need to pay very close attention. God has spoken to us through his Son, and the Son is greater than the angels. The Son is the exact imprint of God himself. So what does this mean to us? we got to listen to what we have heard. Because if they were punished for disobeying angels, how much more are they responsible for rejecting God himself? See, Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a messenger. So here's the question. What have we heard? What is the message of Jesus? What is the message that God the Father has communicated to us through his Son? Let's go back to chapter 1. It says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Yeah, of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on God, on high. See, this is the message. The message of Jesus is the gospel. The message of the gospel is not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. While that is true, the gospel is first, this is who God is. And when you understand who God is, you understand who you are. See, the prophets spoke about who God was. Jesus came and showed who he is. He lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived. And by living that perfect life, he shows us where we're not that. So he shows us who God is. He shows us who we are. And he shows us what God has done for us. See, we worship God for two reasons. One, we worship God because of, he, because of who he is. We worship him because he is deserving of it. We worship him because he is worthy. But we also worship him for what he has done. You're like, what has he done? 
He took the punishment that you and I deserved on the cross. See, me being a sinner is not that big of a deal if God's not holy. But he is. See, God is good, and that sounds awesome, but the problem is is that we're not. So what does a good God do with not good people? All right, it's like I have a vacuum cleaner. And I got a new vacuum cleaner kind of recently. It was a little bit ago. And whenever you vacuum, you know, you know how you know that it's a good vacuum cleaner? It gets rid of all the dirt. Right? It gets rid of all the bad stuff. A good vacuum cleaner gets rid of all the bad stuff. And a good God does not allow for bad people. God is good, which means he punishes evil. And the problem is, we're all evil. But what Jesus did is how he revealed God. Yes, he revealed God in his righteousness and his wrath by taking his wrath upon himself. But what he also revealed is how much God loves you. See, the cross is where the love of God and the wrath of God meet. The cross shows you how terrible your sins really are, but it also shows you how much God loves you that he was willing to endure it for you. See, Jesus came to this earth not simply as to set an example, but to show us who God is and to bring us into a right relationship with him. And the author of Hebrews is saying, when you understand that, why would you ever leave that? Not only leave it, if you're in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, now we're going to go over this over the next several weeks, but the more you get to know who he is, the more you realize, man, I'd be a fool to say no to that. I'd be a fool. We're going to close. Keelan, where are you at? Where are you at, Keelan? All right, come on. You can put, hop on that piano, my friend. All right? We're going to close. Huh? Oh, yeah, my fault. He's got the music on my phone. Our iPads were dead, so we had to use music on my phone. All right. There you go, home slice. All right. So, all right, so like I was saying, sorry. Well, if you're in this room and you don't understand, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, let me explain something to you. That a right relationship with Jesus starts by knowing who he is. That he's not just a prophet. He's not just an example. He is the fullness of God. And he died for you and he died for me. And because of that, we have a victory that cannot be won by flesh and blood. It can't be won by strength or might. It's won by the blood of Jesus. That I don't have to be seen for my sins. That God forgives me. That he loves me. And if you don't know, if you're like, man, I don't even know if I, like, if you're interested in that, here's what I want you to do. Before you leave tonight, please talk to me, talk to like any of these adults in the back. Like, this is what we're here for. Remember what I opened with. The most important thing that you could ever answer is who is Jesus? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word, God. What, What I could not do, Father, I ask that you do. God, where I fall short in in speech, Father, you don't fall short. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would speak to hearts tonight, Father, that if there's anyone in this room that does not have a relationship with you, God, I ask that you would 
Convict them, Father. Speak to them through your Holy Spirit. Help them to know how much you love them. Father, I ask that you would save sinners. I ask in the name of your son. Thank you again for listening to the Central Students Podcast. For more information on how to take your next step, visit us online at centralsanford.net slash students. 